Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, host of the Boiling Point podcast. My co-host, Dave Vale, and I will bring you thoughtful discussions with leaders who are positively impacting our world. This is The Boiling Point, where leadership and inspiration meet. Ooh, what a treat. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Dr. Greg Hemmings with us today. Doctor of letters, double, his twin is there. <laughs> you see the video <laughs> and you do it perfectly too. You know exactly what side. How do we describe this to the listeners? Like you just did it to me and all of a sudden, Greg comes walking in behind. Uh, I don't know how he's done. <laughs> and then he, you look the opposite way. So you've done this a few times. Well, listen, the way I see it is I say 99.9% of the time I'm doing Zoom meetings. They're typically meetings you don't want to be on or, you know, it's just like nobody's having fun or, or laughing. And uh, I want to change it up a little bit. So for the listeners who aren't seeing, there's another version of me that pops his head out behind me uh, every few minutes. And uh, I did it in particular to freak Emily out a number of months ago, maybe a year ago. And I decided to keep it as part of my virtual background settings. Well, so with that, you just said that you typically do it when basically I heard oh. people boring to talk to. And I'm over here thinking you did that to me. No, no, no. I did that. To, I, I do it only to people I love that need that need their spirits to be brought up. I'm talking about me being the boring person. Like I need I need to make people laugh a little bit, you know? Here's the story of when Greg did it to me. Monica and Dara and I, we were filming. It was a recorded Zoom that Greg was creating this thing. So kind of an important conversation. It was a pitch to a broadcaster in the United States for a TV show. Yeah, where we are having a serious conversation about something. And then in pops Greg Hemming's double in the background. I had just been recovering from the flu, was not even feeling well that day. And I start thinking that I'm like hallucinating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You Good definitely got me. Yeah. <laughs> Good sport, Emily. <laughs> so, dear listeners, this is a bowling point, And we started completely differently than we have because our old friend Greg Hemmings, founder of the bowling point, has joined us, or Dr. Greg Hemmings. Oh, and we, we can this conversation can go a million different ways. Greg, the great connector of people, connected Emily and I, eternally grateful for that. And uh, the three of us met the first time, just kind of happen chance. Is that the word? You just brought Emily in and uh, she sat down beside us and said, Dave, she's got a great story and <laughs> let's do this. So I had no, no context. And next thing I know, I'm hearing uh, Emily's amazing story. But She's an incredible replacement to me as well. Uh, uh, so I, I didn't want to leave you hanging by yourself, uh, Dave. Not that you wouldn't have done a great job as a solo podcaster, but you need somebody to do this with. No, no, Emily, like, you know, you you both in your own way raise the bar. And Emily certainly does. She's heard some, heard some of her questions in the last interview. I was like, my God, like, Frank, I got to spend more time thinking the questions ahead of time. It's so good. It's so good. 
So it's been, yeah, and, and, and you know, of course we've missed you. And it's been a lot of fun and uh, it just brings a whole new element. And we've had a lot of fun with this. And I, I so appreciate you just saying, hey, go with it, guys. Do what you can, right? And then I pitched Emily on, hey, would you be a, a, like a really awkward pitch to try to get her to come in and actually be the lead host, you know, and run this thing? She said, sure. And here we are. Emily, thank you for doing that. Big shoes to fill. Replacing Greg Hennings, there is no replacing. That's for sure. Well, I got to say, I don't know how many years ago we did our first episode, but I remember very clearly sitting in a patio having a, a beer with Dave enough years ago that when I said, Dave, we should do a podcast. Dave said, what's a podcast? It was that long ago that we started The Boiling Point. No, no. I said, sure, that would be awesome. What is a podcast? Because <laughs> I knew I wanted to do something with you. I just wasn't exactly that's that's dating ourselves, eh? Like, yeah. like they were I mean, so... like, think about that. Podcast is just a part of our daily language now. But like back then, it really was. It was very rare. And of course, I went to that podcast conference uh, in Arizona or somewhere, and uh, there was only a small, I'd say, three or four hundred people there, and that was the world's leading podcasters. Like it wasn't that big when we started. You know, so we are uh, we're early uh, early adopters, uh, Dave, and now, now Emily, you're taking it to the next level. One of my favorite stories. So we're just ju- we're just launching into this because are, are we do we have a particular angle we want to take, or we can we just have a good conversation and get listeners caught up with Greg Hemmings? And one of my favorite stories about the podcast was you were I'm going to say like in Portland or Seattle or something like that. And you you sent me a picture of this this woman who's waving you and and she recognized you somehow, and it was a listener of the podcast. And I was like, oh my god, this is good. look how big we are, people. Not only that, it was in Washington State. Uh, you're right. I was in Portland. Actually, it was in Portland, Oregon. And not only that, the woman was from the UK. From the UK, she had this very British accent. Yeah. No way. Yeah, and she might be listening to this right now. It's hard to say because I think she subscribed after after that because. I think we might have even had her on as a guest after that. I can't even remember. But uh, yeah, so we we had at least one international listener, which was great. And Emily has introduced some some really good logic and specifically about how, how much energy you have and how how many interviews you should really do in a day. Craig and I in this very hot room would do like five back to back or sometimes six. And the, the guests would always be, of course, very interesting. But it was so funny because at one point you just feel like we're both, you know, like yawning away from because we're just trying to keep the energy going. So, so Emily said, it's three, do three in a row. We can't do any more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I remember listening to like previous episodes that you guys have done and like, you can tell which ones were recorded later in the day because you both start talking about how hungry you are. <laughs> I'm like, really? Eight have they been in there? <laughs> oh, geez. Oh, so embarrassing. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, you know, Greg, you want a beer? Well, sure. Like, that does not help the energy. You just like, yeah, we'll just have a beer or two. Why not? Why Why are we feeling, you know, four o'clock, we're tired? So you, you feel way more energized now, Dave, now that, you're, now that I'm not there feeding you beer. It's good. That is true. That was always <laughs> the hardest part because, I, you know, hard for me to say no. And at the same time, that four o'clock. You know, so that's hilarious. We would have said that anyway. So actually, you know, we, we what we have to find out, Emily, is uh, and listeners, if they're not aware, but why why you called Greg Doctor Greg Hemmings? And um, I'm assuming everyone knows, but in the event that someone doesn't know, 
Why don't you tell us, Greg, what, what's with this doctorate? I learned on Wikipedia just yesterday that if you've got an honorary doctorate, an honorary degree of which I have, I've got an honorary doctor of letters uh, in the humanities, um, the, you're not really allowed to use the word doctor unless you're in an academic setting. So if I was to lecture at a university, 100% they could, uh, uh, but I, I can't go around with my business card saying Dr. Greg Hemmings. Uh, nor do I want to, uh, but I got to say I was I was quite thrilled and honored when Uni University of New Brunswick uh, called to see if I would be interested in being awarded uh, an honorary degree, which to me is great because I only did one year university, and uh, now I can feel like I actually graduated because I did. <laughs> Just this last May, I I, I became a an honorary graduate of the University of New Brunswick in St. John. So uh, uh, here here. And I do, I do recoil when they say Dr. Hemmings, because that's actually my wife's real name. Uh... <laughs> like full legit medical doctors. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you, you, there's a level of discomfort for you as well. Obviously. And, and obviously I'm honored and I would say yes in a second to that incredible award. But uh, yeah, it, like, Hey, we all have our friends who are PhDs and our friends who are going through that process as a lot of work that goes into that. So you don't want to, you don't want to diminish that or be seen as somebody who's flaunting a, uh, a, you know, a title that other people work so hard with. Now the counterpoint to that, that people push me on is number one, you don't choose to be, be honored with a, a degree. Somebody else in the mystical world of academia says, Oh, that guy built a business or lived a life or served the community in a certain way that would be equivalent to doing some sort of a, you know, a degree. Um, so I got to take that into consideration, but, uh, all I have to say is if, you know, if, uh, if we can have a few jokes about it and that's great. And, uh, and also if I go to the university, uh, at any point and they call me doctor, I'll just have to get used to it. In fact, Haley from my work, my CFO, she made me this amazing shirt that says Dr. Hemmings on it, which is hilarious. Now, am I going to wear that in public? I want to, cause it's so comfortable. The shirt is a beautiful shirt. I just can't do it, but I'll, I'll wear it with you guys. So no problem. You just wear it at home. Not even yet. <laughs> <laughs> so was there like a little imposter syndrome? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Huge. That's legit. Like imposter syndrome, especially if you're an entrepreneur. I think we all get a little bit of that for sure. Yeah. So I was wondering, Al, because since your, your celebration party. Which was a lot of fun. We had a ton ball. of fun. Ton of fun. Dave didn't come. He had far more important things to do. Legit. I was, I had a pre-planned trip to Nova Scotia with my family. And I was just like, Marilyn, is there any way we can change this? And it's like, Dave, we have. <laughs> well, I, I would have been upset if you changed your plans for the family. But yeah, we had a good time. You were there in spirit. <laughs> but around even that, like you seemed a little uncomfortable just having a party for you. Well, Jessica had the party for you. Yeah. Yeah. But those rare, amazing moments when your wife is like, I want to throw a party to honor you. That doesn't happen every day. So I'm like, I can't say no to that. Plus, it's just going to be a group of my awesome friends, and that's all that's all good. But uh yeah, yeah, it was uh it was a bit of a a trying thing, Emily, for sure, but absolutely no regrets. Had a had a great time, and it's just good having people that you love around you to celebrate whatever that is. <laughs> Just look at look at he's trying to get off this topic. He's trying to totally get off this topic. He's like, come on, change the topic. Moving on. <laughs> so speaking of moving on, like obviously Dave and I, we get to chat with you all the time. So for listeners who are like, 
what in the world has Greg Hemmings been up to? Yeah, well, a whole lot of things. Um, one is I, uh, I'm continuing to work with my team at Hemmings House. I'm not the CEO anymore. I promoted my my former 2IC, Steve Foster, who's been with me almost since day one in this company. He's now the CEO. And I act as a chairperson of the company. So uh, an executive chair, that is. So there's a distinction between the two. Uh, the buck still stops with me if uh, if the bank comes running or, uh, you know, uh, the CEO is uh, liable, but really it's the executive chairperson who is ultimately liable. So I'm heavily involved in uh, in influencing the direction of the company. It's been a really fun role to step away from the real day to day, but still be involved daily, um, but really focus on what does growth look like? And we've explored a whole bunch of really fun models, including, you know, mergers and acquisitions, like finding other companies around the country that maybe we could join up with or purchase, you know, things like that. That's a whole, that's a whole exciting adventure in learning how that is done. And even, uh, you know, our uh, CFO and Steve and I, we took a course on M&A and, you know, I didn't go to business school. So this was a lot of fun just to learn, you know, the, uh, the, the structural, uh, elements of doing something like that. Now we haven't gone down that road yet, but I I tell you we've uh, we've really gone through the movements and you know found other companies that we're interested in, um, got our company evaluated, uh, did due diligence, flew their team over to over to here. We went over to there, all that sort of thing, you know, to just to try it out. And uh, something like that's always been uh, in my mind a real fun way to grow out of the region is find other companies like your own that uh, you might be able to, you know, grow with. So the idea of one plus one equals three. Uh, so that's one little thing that I'm doing. And another thing I've been um, working on is a startup, an engineering startup, where we're developing an electric motor for the EV industry, but not necessarily for cars, though our motor will be awesome for, for cars as well. Um, our motor is specifically designed for really rugged, harsh conditioned vehicles. So Picture a, uh, you know, any sort of, you know, equipment that needs to be uh, traveling around in the Arctic in minus 40 degrees or in the Sahara Desert, you know, it's a real rugged, um, high torque motor, but our motor has a little bit of a twist. We're not using any permanent magnets. So it's uh, the rare earth mining is not part of what we're doing. And I'd say 95% of every other EV motor on earth uses rare earth magnets. So we're going uh, to build the world's most sustainable, powerful uh, electric motor. Uh, and very excited to be learning about that as well. And uh, as a co-founder of that project, that does not come from an engineering background. It's a whole new learning path for me. Like it's really fun to be able to now kind of learn a little bit about being an engineer, even though I'm not an engineer, but being part of the ownership group of a company like that. What a cool way to learn. So that's a little bit of what I've been up to and sailing a lot. Of course, that too. Yeah. New <laughs> boat. The summer of the new boat. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I think last time we caught up over a beer and I think you were headed off to do a race across to the Digby. Yeah, that's right. So I don't race sailboats. Last time I raced a sailboat was in 1989. And it was a laser two and I was just a young lad. Uh, so that's really the last time I raced. And just about a month ago, 
we entered my boat into a race, uh, a little bit of an ocean race, uh, sailing between New Brunswick and Nova Scotia across the Bay of Fundy. And we actually came in second place, which is really crazy because I'm not a racer, but we had a ball. It was so fun, so thrilling, slightly uh, hair raising because it was really nerve wracking because it's the first time I've taken my boat out into the ocean. And uh, we just had a ball. It was awesome. So, Greg, on our last episode, we had the author Quentin Casey on, and uh, he was talking about his book with John Risley. And he was saying how John was like just such a risk taker. And then we were speaking about how like he had he his thought is that either like that's something that you have or you don't have, that you're either a risk taker or you're not. And so for you to kind of dive into these new industries that you say you know nothing about, is that like how do you see that as far as a risk? It's all high risk for sure. And I would say. Before marriage and children, I would be a much uh, a much higher risk taker than I am now. Okay, <laughs> you've subdued, you know, for financial risks and whatnot. But uh, I also have that belief that so I've, I I would say I've got a I've got a mature level of risk taking at this point. But I fully realize, and I talk to my kids about this all the time. If you don't choose to walk through a door, nothing's going to happen. You know, so. If, if you're okay with status quo, just keep it status quo. But if you're thinking, hmm, there's only one life to live and, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of it now <laughs> and I kind of want to try something else, you got to dip your toes into it and, and you know, be smart about it. But uh, there's very little risk outside of, you know, financial risk, of course, but little risk in trying something new, you know, uh, especially if you've got an amazing team or amazing family to support you in in doing that. So though I am definitely more on the risk-taking side of the spectrum, I wouldn't consider myself a high risk taker much anymore. Though when I was younger, my biggest thrill was jumping off the highest cliffs I possibly could into any whatever body of water possible. Uh, <laughs> I used to do really stupid, risky things all the time, but uh, I, I do less of that now. Having children kind of you know, scraps that, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like, maybe I shouldn't be hanging on, you know, underneath this bridge uh, over the reversing falls for fun. Yeah, things like that. Even without having children, I don't think that's fun. And it's funny because I think that people, people quite often say that I'm like a high risk taker where I don't think that I am. Right. Well, it's because you're living a life of really cool adventure to other people. Like you appreciate the adventure you're, you're living uh, a lot, but like, this is what you do. This is who you are. So traveling into the jungle in uh, Bolivia, um, Argentina, that's not necessarily way out of your comfort zone, but for everybody else looking at you, they're like, Oh, I could never do that. You know, everybody, you know, puts their own fears onto other people. It's interesting. Hey, eh? like, uh, so do you think that risk is like kind of a thing like confidence and that we can like build upon it and make ourselves, I think the more confidence you get, you're able to judge if this is a real risk or not, right? For example, I remember going to Bogota uh, in Colombia, which is notoriously dangerous. And uh, me and my buddies were like, oh, let's let's go walk the streets and uh, go find a restaurant or a bar or whatnot. And no, it was fine. It was it was fine. I'm, I, you have to have your, your guard up a little bit, but this was nighttime and it was fine. So right now, I've got a little bit more data right now saying that, you know what, walking the streets of, you know, the old part of Bogota 
is fine. So next time I go, I'll have a little more confidence. Risk is a little bit lower. When I went to Caracas, Venezuela, in the middle of the day, I felt my life was in danger multiple times, and, which means in this moment right now, if you invite me to go to Caracas or Bogota, I'd be like, take me to Bogota in a second. No problem. When I went to Haiti before the most recent crisis, there was an edge, edge of, of high risk of walking around those streets. And we did. And some people that we were with told us we were idiots for walking on those on certain streets that we were, we were on. But uh, now that, that that country is going through what they're going through, the risk is much higher. So like, it's all, I, I think the more we do things, the more we understand how to, you know, to manage the risk or you know, just be smart about it. Or if, but if you're just dumb and just walk into a place, like, that's just stupid. <laughs> yeah. And what some people view as risks and other people don't. And then when do you have like the knowledge to kind of support of like, actually how risky is this? I love that you said that because I think risk is a, it's a numbers game. Uh, it, it's statistics. But what you're talking about is fear, fear of the unknown. Like th- those two are totally different things. People say, oh, that's so risky. Well, based on what? Like, wh- why are you saying it's risky? But there are numbers, like you could say out of a population of X, you know, 20% of people get kidnapped in this particular country. If you go at this time of year, that's a statistic. We know the risks. Or if you're just assuming, oh, you're going to this particular country, uh, that's such high risk. But that's just fear. <laughs> you know, I feel like the pandemic was a big test around, you know, what risk really is, right? Because every time you get in your car and drive somewhere, there's inherent risks, Right. And actually, statistically, a lot higher than other things that are considered and deemed risky. But we do that all the time, you know, or most of us do it all the time, uh, as an example, right? Like, you wouldn't really think, ah, I wonder if this is risky. But yeah, no, it's it's a it's a fascinating topic, for sure. But the other thing about, you know, you're taking these risks, Greg, but there's always a project. There's always something. <laughs> you're not idle, I would say. Oh, no, 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 no. Because... There, there's two uh, forces within, uh, within. Well, it's probably more than two of my soul, but there's two of them that are uh, dictate my my day to day. One is the need to make money to create an income, and the other is the my artistic desire to create something that may or may not be funded by a client or you know somebody to account to. So with that, I'm continuously selling projects for our company for Hemings House and Hemings Films. A lot of really cool cool projects on the go right now, but I'm also on more of the, I, you know, I, I don't like using the word passion projects because it, it almost demeans it a little bit, but uh, passion projects uh, are the ones that are really cool projects that I personally direct that aren't necessarily tied to big financial potential, but keeps my skills, you know, sharp, uh, allows me to live the life of adventure similar to the, you know, the adventures Emily goes on. Mine are a little bit different. And um, so I'm just putting together right now the edit on one of these projects that uh, we shot the day. I, well, I left here on Boxing Day last year to go to Brazil into the jungle to to create a film following the family of the famed um, ecologist, Dr. Tom Lovejoy, who passed away uh, just a, f- a number of months earlier. So we made a film about his ashes being spread throughout the Amazon forest and into the Amazon river. And it was a beautiful experience for me to be just part of. Uh, but I made this lovely little film, shows his life. And, uh, but the really neat thing is, I was, you know, through that experience of family, I was able to tell the world who doesn't know who Dr. Tom Lovejoy is, 
get to tell a little bit of his biography through that. So it's it's a nice little film that honors the life of a very, very important um, you know, climate researcher, ecologist. Um, he is the uh, literally the guy who coined the term biodiversity. Um, so if you're somebody that can coin something like that, uh, you are somebody of significance. And I have to tell you this really interesting story. Just last week, as I've, I'm going through this, you know, hundreds of photographs that the family has given to me, like digitally, just to put into the edit. And I see this one audio file in a, in a folder filled, filled with photos. I'm like, oh, huh, that's interesting. Click. David Attenborough sending a, a voice message to the family about a family and friends and colleagues about his personal relationship with Tom and all the accolades. Uh, and this is David Attenborough, you know, the voice of science on television, on BBC, you know. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. So I reached out to the family. I was like, is there any way do you think that we could get Attenborough's permission to use this? Uh, so we're looking into it. I've already put it into the edit and it narrates the film perfectly. <laughs> so, to be able to have a film with David Attenborough uh, as one of the voices speaking to the 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 greatness of this amazing man who has passed away is very very cool. So as you can see, I get excited about work like that. So that's not for me. That's not a money game. Of course, we get paid to make it. We get enough money to offset the cost, but uh, um, that does push my career as a filmmaker forward, uh, and I do that on a regular basis. So I'm always busy doing projects, uh, Dave, as you as you said. And Emily and I have uh, have always been uh, scheming up uh, continued film projects together, and uh, one of them is going to close soon. We know it, and uh, yeah, lots on the go. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I've seen you uh, pitch a few ideas over the years, and Emily, you've seen it a lot more closely, probably you know recently. I kind of marvel at, it. and the one you know wasn't for money, but it was pitching uh, the the Chamber of Commerce on us being doing a instead of going up and I'm over in one podium, Greg's on the other one, and we co-moderate, I guess. Greg pitches like, let's do a podcast, like a podcast style. We're going to be sitting down. We got our microphones, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> this for a fundraising luncheon, uh, or was it a dinner or a oh, luncheon? It was, it was, it was the uh, business awards. Business awards, yeah. So it was like a three-hour big, thing, like five hundred business people, and we just went with it. We jammed it. <laughs> it's one of the things that I love so much about you, Greg, is that like you do just go for it. <laughs> 
That's the name of my sailboat. Go for it. There you go. I love it. <laughs> you know, and to me, there was some inherent risk in that because I was like, if we really screw this up, man, this is going to be like kind of embarrassing because it's the whole business community. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and in we fact, it, it, it went actually really well. And it was, a, it was a different approach, but but that's the beauty of being creative and confident. So when you talk about pitching these ideas, I can just imagine what it's like. What's the like your journey, both of you been like, you know, around your film, Emily, and just because like you guys met just previous to when I met you on the podcast, correct? Like you, yeah, it's not like you've known each other for decades. No, we. Oh, really? Together. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I met you on the phone first. We, uh, I think me and Tim and Steve, maybe Megan, we were all had a chat with you. Was it that day or the next day that it was like? I think the next week I came down. We had lunch together, and then I thought you said come and see the Boiling Point Studio. So that's when I showed up at the Boiling Point. And then I hear you guys introducing your next guest. Your dad was there and you're like, oh, I have this incredible woman. She's done this and this. And, and I jokingly say I'm here and then find out that it actually was me that you were introducing. And I wasn't just going to visit the podcast studio. I was going to be on it. <laughs> Clearly my communications with you. A little, a little piece of information missing from that. <laughs> So since that time, for listeners that don't know, like what's happened, like in terms of your collaboration? Well, it's been two documentaries put out about me. Greg produced and directed Cadence, which has done film festivals around the world. And then the CBC documentary, Chasing the Current, that Greg directed. And yeah, there's been... There's been a lot that has happened these last few years since that uh, that one yeah. day in St. John. And amongst a number of other pitches that have yet to uh, find funding, but all very interesting and cool and will find their day. So I've got a whole folder in my Google Drive. Uh, it's just called Emily Roger. That's it. And then underneath it, there's like nine or 10 different totally sellable ideas uh, that we've collaborated on. So uh so, Greg, what makes like I have my own theory on this, but for you, what makes Emily so uh, sellable? Like, what is it? What are the features or the attributes? There's a lot. My gosh, one thing uh, Emily is uh, a go for it personality as well. So there's not a ton of you know. I don't think there's any like convincing. It's just yeah, that's a great idea, Greg. Let's do it. <laughs> so very uh, yeah, very willing to to do something interesting. Um, I, I really think Emily and I share a lot of similar values, which, um, sometimes isn't the case with people you collaborate with and you can still do really good collaborations with people that don't have the exact, you know, parallel vibe, but, uh, you know, uh, I think Emily and I, I think we've got enough of a parallel that we, we, there's not much friction between us. I can't picture any actually. So those are a few moments. Now, the other thing, you know, just straight up is the, Everything that we've pitched to date had some sort of, you know, connection to outdoor adventure of some sort, of which Emily stands out anyhow, just by nature of, you know, how you show up on Instagram and with sponsors and, you know, all that sort of thing. So that's just a, that part's a no brainer. But uh, there's a bunch of people in the world that have great Instagram followings and are known in their industries, but they would suck to work with. <laughs> Emily's not one of them. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> 
Well, I've known Greg for a long time. He doesn't have a folder with Dave Vale and a whole bunch of things. Listen, man, we we reached our our alt. We like how far much further could we go after doing the airplane journals? I, hey, man, that was the pinnacle. Yeah. <laughs> well, and actually, I was thinking about you also on this this previous episode with Quentin, where he, I asked him, I was like, "What made John, or do you think made John say yes?" to you being the one who wrote a book around. And he had said that there was already a bit of a relationship established, some trust. And even when we started talking about the idea of cadence, and I had had other people before say, oh, I want to do a film on you. And I was like, absolutely not. But just being able to have the trust in you and sharing the similar integrity and values that like, that is what made it for me to be like, Yep, absolutely. Because it's kind of like kind of selling your life to somebody to then put it together and create this narrative. Absolutely. And in a lot of cases, once you sign over that that right to tell your story, a lot of producers are they're like, okay, thank you. Bye-bye. We're in control now. You know, and then you're you've lost your ability to have a say in how your story is presented. And we don't work that way, yeah. Uh, you know, in, in in our in our work, but a lot of the, a lot of producers do, and I almost get, well, I do understand why, because they are working in a lot of cases with a broadcaster. Let's say a broadcaster has pitched something, and then the broadcaster says, "Yeah, we'll give you the money, but you're promising you're going to give us this thing," and the producer says, "Yep, promise," and then you go and get this signed off. So I can understand the logic, but you're never going to get. It's not going to be a good flowing experience because someone in your position is always going to feel like, you know, nervous and anxious that their stories can be abused, you know, and the producer is going to be like, oh, geez, that the person's going to be is going to hate me after they see this edit. But I, you know, I got to deliver it the way it is. So it's not good. So I we don't work that way. That's uh, I learned that very early on working with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> the way they portrayed you on the boiling point <laughs> and you're like i will never do that to anybody <laughs> well you know when the the time i experienced that uh was when liam was on a uh, canada smartest person junior on the cbc this series and i remember signing and thinking oh it's a cbc but but the experience and they were you know they're all kind people and stuff but they're making a show. They want something to sell. And they're not probably totally thinking about, you know, how is it going to affect this one kid, right? But that's your kid. And they, it's on national television. And it was a eye-opening experience. And I mean, ultimately, it was a good experience. But, you know, there was some interesting, <laughs> interesting things that I was like, wow. And especially when you're dealing with children, right? Uh, it was it was quite it was quite interesting. So good on you to do it that way, Greg. Well, like we say, we we, we try to um, create safe environments because if you don't, if you don't have a safe environment where people aren't feeling anxious and nervous, you're going to get a better performance and you're going to get a better product. Totally. I remember once it was an Imperial Theater and it came out and of course you know, had a couple of glasses of wine and your crew was outside stopping people and interviewing them and I was like ah, I probably shouldn't have had a couple of glasses. I was like ah the, 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 I mean those guys like they'll edit out anything if I don't sound good or <laughs> slurring or anything you know what I mean That's a nice reputation to have what was that Dave I don't remember that I don't know six seven years ago I can't even remember what the event was like you guys it was it's funny I don't really remember what it was about but yeah you were you you, you obviously the Imperial hired, or hired you guys to do something and in terms of promotion of it or whatever 
yeah. So the boys wrote there. I was like, hey guys, but like anyone else, I would have just like eh, get yeah. the hell out oh, of there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think it was shortly after Cadence came out, and a network had pitched me to be on one of their reality TV shows. And I remember talking to you about it, Greg, and you're like, yeah, 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 go for it, go for it. And I was like, yeah, no, unless Greg can be the final one who does the editing. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how these people are going to. And it was like, it was a hunting show. And I was like, I have no idea how they're going to portray me and I don't want that <laughs> like for sure this fear around people they want it for entertainment and they want what the viewers are gonna like and uh yeah I don't yeah. need that and if, if 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 you're not giving them what they think they want they'll get it from you anyway and how they they edit it together <laughs> I actually never thought of this but you're you're so you're when you're making especially the kind of films that you make Greg like there's kind of moral decisions all the time about what to show and what not to show right and something you i'm guessing you'll see and you go this would actually you know really pump up the viewership potentially because it's salacious or something but then it's like well this is my friend or this is the person i care about or whatever maybe i shouldn't put that in we bumped into that years ago you remember when we did our wrestling show day uh day uh, yeah, well yeah. i did two different wrestling shows but there was stuff that we got on camera that was it would have made the edit amazing, <laughs> made the story like such high drama, but you just can't do it because it had something to do with the, you know, the actions of, a, of one of the particular people that we were filming. And I knew that it would hurt their lives in the future if they if we put it out, though, they wouldn't have seen that. Uh, so the, there, there's definitely some. And there's it's probably this big 250 pound guy that maybe you don't want to be pissed off. <laughs> they could all eat me, all of them. <laughs> they love you, man. They love you. We had, remember we had the one guy on that does security now. And, uh, oh, yeah, man. He, he, he's that, a that's Trash Canyon. Yeah. yeah. He now is a, and I, I nominated him to be in the Walsh McCain Institute. I don't know. If he got in this year or if he even applied, but um, he's got a very successful security company in Halifax now, incredibly successful called Five Star, Five Star Bailiff. So he started as a bailiff company, but that's extended now. He's got security guards doing the Halifax, the, the new Metro Center or whatever, the convention center. So he's he's doing awesome, and he and you know he he was one of our guys, one of our wrestlers uh, on our TV show way back, and you know that. TV experience is part of his life trajectory, which is pretty neat. Yeah. <laughs> so, Greg, I love that. I feel like I can now just like sit and ask you all the questions that I always wonder. What time do you normally go to bed at? <laughs> you don't wonder that. You already know. <laughs> I think the question is, Emily, what time is it that either I send you an email or you send me an email and we immediately respond within within minutes? We'll start there. Five we'll o'clock in the morning. <laughs> right. So long before I'm out of bed, I'm a five to five thirty guy. And uh, I immediately start jumping into work immediately in the morning. I probably should do other things, but that's what I do. But that means I, I really sh like, I'm turning off the lights at 10. Like I'm, I'm, I'm already in bed and, and lights, you know, shows are done 10 o'clock head on the pillow. Cause I need, I need seven to eight hours. I have to have it. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I mean, with you, like, for as much time as we have, we have 
and together, like as friends, like working on stuff, whatever else, like you are just like Greg Hemmings is Greg Hemmings. And you're always just on and that same energy and like, and so, yeah. So when you then crash at the end of the night, like you're, you're down and out. My crash starts around 3 PM. Like I wish I could work at night the way everybody else on earth does and get all their emails done. Like my brain is just mush by the time three o'clock hits. So by the time supper happens and then after supper cleanup, there's no time for work. So, uh, cause my brain's not working anyway. And then early in the morning, it's like, I'm crazy productive. And then the rest of the day I can be present and, you know, doing things like this. Yeah. <laughs> I read an article about this, but, and everyone has a different level of energy at a different time of the day. And they had these kind of titles for the, you know, the early riser and the night owls and the midday, whatever, but it's finding what you're, you know, what lane you're in and sticking with it. I think, you know, cause you're not going to, that's not going to change you guys. Yeah. I, I see these emails from you guys and it's like five Oh two. It's like, wow. Like that's, I just uh, hope they're not dinging on your phone, but I, I'm assuming that you got those turned up. I got, I got airplane mode on. No way. That would not be good. <laughs> I have so many people that will say this to me. If they say, oh, I wish that I could be a morning person like you. And for you saying of you wish that you could stay up later. And then, so what? I'm totally spewing BS right now when I say that, because I don't wish. Yeah. I didn't think so. My whole life, even though when I was in my 20s, I saw the sunrise many times by being up all night, having a lot of fun. That doesn't exist. Once once I turn 30, you know, you can't do that anymore. I found my rhythm is I love being up before the sun rises. That's just my thing. Um, so I don't wish. But um, I think Dave can uh, recount uh, when he started being my executive coach many years ago. I was battling with uh, with email management and time management back then. <laughs> right? So my whole thing is I wish we didn't live in a society where communication was so intense and I'd rather use my morning for things like meditation or exercise or something of value instead of, but my, my day, every single day is meetings back to back to back meetings because it's a relationship based business. But it means if you're emailing me in the middle of the day, and if I'm being present with somebody else, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not glued to this at all. You know, like I check yesterday's mail in the morning and that's when I, that's when I do it, but that's a survival thing, you know? So what do I wish? I'd still like to be involved with all the things I'm involved with, but minimize the communication on all of them. And I don't think that's possible, but that's, that's, that's more of a better wish. <laughs> yeah. It is that thing though of deciding like, I mean, gosh, I get an eight hour work day done between 4.30 in the morning and 10 a.m. <laughs> and, and, but it's this thing of like, when you're on, you're on. And I want to do everything at that time because that is when my brain is the freshest. It's like, that's when I want to reply to emails. That's when I want to schedule calls. That's when I want to go to the gym and, and work out. And like, because like, and it's like, oh gosh, I need to cram all of this stuff in that it's almost like choosing. You have to choose what things are going to take your like high performance time. Absolutely. Yeah. And using emails and doing all that is not doing that first thing in the morning is not my favorite thing, but I'll tell you, it allows me to stay present in the daytime and that is worth it. So I'd be curious and uh, we can all share as we wrapping this up of all the guests, who's been the favorite and there've been many great guests, So, it's, but who, who have you really enjoyed 
interviewing on The Boiling Point? The most special, of course, to me was Seth Godin, but he gave you all the prizes of uh, him saying, good question, Dave. And I didn't get any. I didn't get any of those from Seth. We, we um, wrote those down, didn't we? So, and it's interesting because I'm such a huge fanboy of Seth that I was a little nervous talking to him, even though I, I at that point, have knew him quite well because we had a couple of projects that we've been involved with together. And, but I've got such respect for him. Uh, I think the Chris Hadfield one was probably my fave. I, like that's, that was a cool interview. I'd say <laughs> there was a many, many awesome ones though. Yeah, no, they're totally, totally. Those stand out because of who they, you know, just the profile too. Right. Profile and yeah, definitely profile, but also the wisdom, like how they, they, they spoke, like they're, they know their story <laughs> really well. And yeah, and uh, the guests should uh, look back in our archives and listen to those particular ones that were great. 100%. Yeah. What was your question, Dave? What was my most what or what was our most what podcast? Uh, most interesting interview. Most interesting. Or, or, you know, the one that really stood out for you. Honestly, like, oh, for guest. Gosh, I mean, how can I not say Greg Hemmings, this one right now? <laughs> Besides Greg Hemmings, of course. Besides Greg, besides Greg. I, I would say the same thing about Emily, but you're here right now. So besides Emily being the most interesting, who's the second? <laughs> well, if I can answer that, I can't be put on the spot to answer that. Okay, that's okay. That's yours. I would go with Chris Hatfield too. There's a bit of a backstory. It just was like, a, I had just taken Liam to watch him the night before or whatever he did, a, or a couple, maybe it was a couple of weeks before one of his shows where he, and he's launched his book and all this kind of stuff. And then, and I didn't think that was going to happen, that interview. And there was something that was, and and I would say with Seth too, but just so impressive, the humility with this man who's, you know, prolific and out there and world renowned, but just very kind with his time and his energy and, you know, uh, and like many, many, many guests, but, but that stands out because we were both like, and I didn't honestly think it was going to happen. I kept on waiting for it to fall through. Well, I, I think it was Tidby that's, that lined that up because Andrew and Chris Heffel are actually legit close friends and collaborators. So uh, I think we had a, a closer in there to uh, uh, to make sure it happened. <laughs> but the, for me, uh, we like even today, we just met the most, like, you know, obviously with you, Greg, because but I get to do this and, you know, and so is Emily, we get to meet up on our own and chat. Um, but I, I have just so enjoyed getting to know some of the people and the guests and hearing their backstories and people are, you know, well, just, it's amazing. It's hard to keep track of. It's like, in a way, that's the thing. Like I should go back and listen to them. I probably well, I wonder, will. I wonder how many episodes have been released to date. There's a lot. That is a very good <laughs> question. I have no idea. Yeah. I think well over 500. At our hundred, we had a celebration and we had Wendy create a beer for us right That's right and i talked i went to the beer tasting at st john high on friday or yeah friday night it was a fundraiser beer tasting or whatever for the alumni and all the local breweries were there it was awesome and uh, of course uh her her group was there and um i was chatting with with them about wendy how awesome wendy is uh and then i said you know one time uh wendy made a boiling point brew and and they're like i know i was there i helped her make it and we still make it the, yeah, so they call it something now. else for some reason. Yeah. Name now, but it's delicious. It was a very good beer. <laughs> but what was fun about that, Emily, was we actually sent a survey out to listeners, and they came back with you know how they would describe Greg and I, and what what kind of attributes should go in the beer, right? And it was like uh, 
<laughs> ginger and a little bit of spice and all these different things came out. It was pretty high alcohol. Content. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like I don't know, I don't know where that came from, but I had one of those. I was like, "How? What is the alcohol?" It's like eight percent. I was like, "Well, I can't have any more. Come on!" Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my. Well, this is awesome, man. And the sun is starting to come in just as we're finishing. You are off. just radiating, Dave. I, I, it's like crazy. I, I I should just, get... I, we're on the same river, Dave, but I just... I know. I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure what's going on. I just got a little little beam of sunshine here. Yeah, ever. You got four five or five miles, beams coming in there. Five miles down the river. Anyways, love you, man. We're just love having you on here. And I'm so glad you came back for an episode. Well, thanks for the invite. What a treat. And, yeah. uh, you can always jump in a, a co-host seat at any point. Emily might be kicking me off the show. So you know, there might be a there might be an empty spot for you. I love it. Well, I would only do a, a, a one a one-time shot, Dave, because you are naturally in that seat. So maybe we'll interview Dave, Emily. Okay. No, I actually I, I said that to Dave. A couple of weeks ago, I said, I want Greg and I to interview you. You guys set this up. I love that idea. That's a great, we didn't set that up. That's a good idea. It's already kind of been set up. Uh, I already let Dave Stonehouse know that uh, we have an upcoming guest, Dave Vale, on the podcast. I love it. The most listened to podcast. That, that, that way we've all been a guest on the podcast. Yeah. I'm slightly uncomfortable with it, but we'll absolutely have the conversation. <laughs> we all need to be in the hot seat. Yeah, that's 100%. Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks a lot uh, for letting me be on. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Greg Hemmings. And Emily's got to l- listen to her extra. It's awesome. Yeah, so we are going to put all of Dr. Greg Hemmings' information and any extras we discussed in the show notes. The best place to find that is on our website at boilingpointpodcast.com. This video version, you can see all of our high-end recording studio is available on YouTube and Facebook. And of course, this podcast is available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Greg Hemmings, we'll see you soon. You rocked it, Emily. She rocked it. Yeah. (laughs) See you, buddy. See you, Greg. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or visit boilingpointpodcast.com for more. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.